So let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. We're going to pick up where we left off. You might remember we were in verse 30 when Jacob had served Laban, or Laban, however you'd like to pronounce it, 14 years so that he could marry Leah, or Leah, and then another seven years, right, for Rachel. So it was a total of 14 years. But, but Jacob, when he had seen um, Rachel's beauty, he, he was, I guess, you know, that puppy love, I don't know what to call it. He, he saw her and he was just uh, googly-eyed. And his heart was set that way. And, you know, I love it when you get young couples, you know, they're in love, there's no wrong. They see no wrong, there's nothing they can do. And Rachel sort of was that for him. He looked at Rachel and his heart just melted for her. But what about Leah, right? Leah he had married first, and yet God tells us the countenance of her eyes was so beautiful. She was probably more plain in appearance, but her beauty of her heart is nothing compared to Rachel's. I mean, as we read on, I, she's just a, a very beautiful woman. And I think God, again, points always to the heart. What do we see first? We should always see the heart, the inside, and then the physical appearance. And so, as we come off of that, we see that at this point, Leah was, she was hurt, you know, because now she's got her sister as a, I don't want to say competition, but I think, you know, you know what I mean, ladies, right? And guys, it's, it's a competition like that. And, and she, he sees that her husband, she's been with him seven years before she was you know, married to Rachel there. Leah was with him. And now all of a sudden, it's like Rachel's got his heart, his eyes. How do you think you'd feel? Like, like okay, now you, you're kicked to the curb kind of thing. And I mean, that, this is real. This, these are real people with real feelings and emotions. Sometimes I think we just think of them as characters on a page, but... All of us can find our hearts in that, can't we? And so if you look in verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Has anybody here ever felt unloved? Has there ever been a time in your life where you just you feel unloved? Maybe you feel that way right now. Leah felt that way. You know, let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you, God. We thank you, Father, that you are a God of intimate details, Lord. That no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, you, you see the heart. You see the emotions and feelings. You know we're, we're so limited in our abilities, Lord. And yet, when we're hurting, God, when we feel alone, when we're empty, Jesus, you see everything. And your heart's desire, Lord, is to minister to us. And in just as we see here with Leah, you're, you know what she needs right now. You're going to open her womb. You're going to bless her, Lord. And God, I pray for anybody that's sitting here tonight, Lord, that, that in the stillness of their heart, Lord, if there's something that they're, they're needing, God, just that time with you or some part of their relationship or something, Lord, just is vexing them, God, I pray you'd, you'd help them to lay it down here tonight, Lord, not to pick it back up, Jesus and to restore them, and to enter into the presence of, just allow them to enter into your presence, Lord. And we ask this and pray this in your mighty name, Jesus, in all power and glory. Amen. So it said, when the Lord saw Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, we need to be careful here because our flesh or our instinct is to look at this and go, well, God is favoring Leah over Rachel. Isn't that natural? When you read this, it, it would appear as though God loves Leah more than he loves Rachel. You know, after all, she's barren and, and yet Leah's, you know, she's about, her womb's gonna be open. She's gonna be fruitful. Out of the 12 tribes, she's going to m mother six of them. Six of the 12 tribes will come from her womb, which is amazing. It's fruitful. But we can make that mistake where we begin to think, well, she was favored, but, but well, that's not what this is. God loved Leah and Rachel equally, just as he does all of you. There is no favoritism that way with the Lord. He's not a respecter of persons, right? The book of James tells us that. So when we see this here, God is showing favor on Leah opening her womb because he knows that's what's going to comfort her. 
And it's amazing because initially when her womb is open, her praise is, hey, now my husband will love me. But finally, she turns from her husband to the Lord and she begins to praise him. And it's beautiful because she realizes where her joy comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's beautiful. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. That means see a son in the Hebrew there. For she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. You know, the Lord there we see in that verse is Jehovah. She seems to understand or know something of God. I'm not saying she's a full-blown believer at this point, but she's calling upon, she's looking upon the Lord, Jehovah. She's recognizing that Jehovah's interceded in her life. She doesn't give glory or honor to anyone else. She knows it's the Lord that's opened her womb. I think that says something about her. Again, she's such a, I can't wait to get to heaven to meet her. Such a sweet countenance, this woman. So beautiful. I imagine when you see her, the light from her just shining is going to be so brilliant. Just so beautiful. And she says, he's looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And here begins the, the history of the 12 tribes here. If you're taking notes in your Bible in the margin, here is the history of the 12 tribes. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, which means heard. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached. Do you see what she's longing for? She's lonely. Now she starts to have these children. Now she's, she's not only just wanting that, but she's wanting what? She's wanting to feel attached. She's wanting to feel connected, embraced, loved. Isn't that the desire? Ladies, isn't that your desire? Is there, is there not a single lady in here that doesn't desire in one way or another to feel loved? It's the simplest desire of our, of our, our beings. Since we were little babies, I mean, we come out and we want to be held. We want to be rocked. We want to be loved. And she conceived again, and she says, you'll become attached to me because I have borne him three sons, which in those days, that was a big deal. That's an honor because the name would carry on and the lineage would carry on. Therefore, his name was called Levi. This will be the father to the Levites, to the sons of Aaron. You think about it here. This is going to be the priest of Jehovah. It came from Leah's womb, how God privileged her. It means attached. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. She finally gets to this point and she realizes, what am I doing? While I want to be attached to my husband, I much more want to be attached and praise God. And I just, again, I look upon her countenance and it's beautiful. Therefore she called his name Judah. Judah came from the womb of Leah. And that, his name means praise. And what's so marvelous about this is from her womb, thousands of years on, will come the seed. First of all, the king of David, King David, excuse me, King David will come. But then the seed will be of the line of Judah. The mother and the privilege of that, to see that and know that. And yet, of the 12 tribes, she felt unloved. She didn't see the big picture. If she would have known how blessed she was at this point, to know that this offspring, the offspring that she's had that will go on, that Jesus Christ, the God-man in the flesh, will come from the very line in which she had the privilege to bear, to, to bear this child that way, that God had privileged her, I wonder how alone she would really feel. It's beautiful. Praise. She praises the Lord. But then she, she stops bearing. 
Now we move into chapter 30. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, and you got to remember, I mean, even if she's having one after another, year after year, six years has roughly gone by. I mean, Rachel is married, six years has gone by, and no, no child. And in that day, when you were barren like that, that, that was looked upon as though you, you had wickedness in your heart, or there was something that God was cursing you. You know, it was considered a curse that way upon you. They didn't understand, you know, you know Job and the patriarchs, you know, bad things happen to good people, and, 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 and it doesn't necessarily mean there's any particular curse on your life. There's nothing to do with that, as a matter of fact. It can low, scripturally, but not in this context. And it says, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children else or else I'll die. Can you imagine being in that conversation? She's stomping her foot, pounding her hand. Give me children. I need children. And Jacob's going like, I, I mean, what does he say to that? Well, he eventually gets angry because he's going, look, I don't want to be rude, but I know the problem. I got the boys, Leah, you know, I don't want to, but uh, everything's working good. I don't know what to tell you here. You know, like he's going to somehow fix it, right? Like there's something he's going to do, you know? <laughs> and so give me children or else I'll die. I, maybe that's a little extreme. <laughs> and, J- and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel because he's looking at her and he's like, you know, a temper tantrum, right? I mean, in an adult, it's not a becoming sight. And he says, am I in the place of God who has withheld you or withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Hey, look, the problem is not with me. You, you need to take this up with the Lord. You, you need to go to the Lord with this. So she said, here is my maid, Billa. Go into her, let's have relations, and she will bear a child on my knees. Now, we sort of talked about this before. That was the custom of that day. If you had a maid or a maidservant, I mean, to us today, it seems quite warped honestly, but the idea is to make that connection so the person that was the maidservant that was going to be sitting in place would understand that that child actually would belong legally to, you know, the husband and or the wife, and in this case, the wife that was sitting. So Bila is sitting on Rachel's lap. That's exactly what this is connoting. It's explaining. So she would have been sitting on her knees, let's say on a chair. I don't want to be any more graphic than that. And Billah would have sat on her knees and Jacob would have had relations. And when the, 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 she would have conceived at that point, what that would have expressed in that time in the Hebrew, the understanding would have been is that that maidservant, because she was on the knees of her owner, if you could use the term that way, or who she was given unto service to, which was Rachel, Rachel would have legal rights to that child. I'm simply just explaining what the text teaches here. That's what it understands. I mean, obviously, again, for us, we're sitting there going, I can't imagine, right? I can't imagine that. But, but this is exactly what it's, it's explaining. That's why we know that God designed it one man, one woman, monogamous for life. None of us have to look upon this or even try to look upon this. That I also may have children by her, right? Then she gave him Billah, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. It was a legal heir at this point of Jacob's and of Rachel's. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan, which means God judges. So I think we need to be clear because it's recording the account. This doesn't necessarily say that that's actually accurate in that you understand what I'm saying. I mean, of course, it's literal and accurate because it's scripture. But I mean, she's presuming, she's making a presumption here that now God is finding favor in this. And now it's God judges and God's before he hadn't somehow not judged fairly or, you know, equitably. And so now Billah was needed instead of doing what? Where did we see this before? How many times have we been going through Genesis have we seen people try to micromanage God? Whether it was Isaac, right? Whether it was Abraham or Sarah with Hagar, we saw a very similar situation. And if Hagar would have just, or Sarah would have just waited on the Lord, none of that issue with Ishmael having to leave home and Hagar leaving and going down through, all that could have been 
you know, stopped or, or mitigated. So just because it records it this way, and it's absolutely literal, doesn't mean it was the heart of God. No different than when Rachel here gives Bilah to Jacob here to be a wife. That's not saying that God is honoring the fact that she's having multiple wives. We'd be wrong in error to say that because that would be Scripture contradicting Scripture. We see nowhere in Scripture where God turns around and says, you know, take as many wives as you like till you're content and full. On the contrary, he defines marriage and it's one man and one woman. And that goes right to the beginning chapters of Genesis. He created the male and female, one flesh. So it's just important as we're you know, using good hermeneutics as we study the Bible, as we come to these places, I and mean, sometimes you're reading it, and she's saying, well, God judges, and it's like, almost like she's saying, like, it's a proclamation for the Lord. She's presumptuous in this. We need, we need to understand that, Lo, and we need, to, we need to have good hermeneutics to come back and go, okay, I can see in the context where, where yes, yeah, she is being presumptuous. Right? So as we continue on here, and Rachel's maid Bilah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. Right? What is this talking about? Because she's sitting there seeing that Leah has already had these children, five children, and she's looking upon it, uh, four children, me, and she's looking upon it with envy. And so now for her, We'll see God's judging now. Now the numbers are going to catch up. You know, it's the wrong heart, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't think it takes much of us to understand that's the wrong heart. So, and indeed, I have prevailed, as though it's a competition. So she called his name Napatali, which means my wrestling. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpa, her maid, and I mean, boy, this is just a dysfunctional family at this point. I mean, you got, you know, Leah's already got wonderful, you know, she's, her womb's been fruitful. You've got Rachel over here, you know, she's doing, and now all of a sudden, like, well, if you're tit for tat, if you're going to do that, now all of a sudden, Leah's like, hey, you, you take my, I mean, and Jacob's like, well, I, all right, you know, if you, if you insist, you know, one of those moments. So Zilpha, her maid, gave her to, what, to Jacob as a wife. Again, God doesn't, that's not God's plan for any of this. But God will use it because what was meant for evil, God will use for good, right? And I don't mean necessarily it was for evil, but it, it wasn't done in the right heart or spirit is what I'm saying. It's a dysfunctional house here. Don't our houses look a lot better? Our families, all of a sudden, don't we feel pretty good about our family? We thought we're screwed up, don't we? Man, you read this and you're like, wow, I'm doing all right. Things are pretty good. Things are looking up. Verse 10, and Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. She called his name Gad, which means a troop. And again, throughout this whole thing, Jacob's not complaining. He's like, all right, if you want me to do it, let's do it. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, which means happy. Now, this is years later, between verses 13 and 14. We have some years that go on. Obviously, Reuben grows up. He was the firstborn. He gets older. And verse 14, it says, Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, if you know what mandrakes are, they're, they were understood in that time, and they still are today understood, is it was supposed to help with infertility. Do these people have problems with infertility? I mean, 12 tribes, six from one woman, from the servants. I mean, I don't think you need the mandrakes, but it's, it, you know, it, it was known sort of as an aphrodisiac. In that time, people would have called it love apples. That would have been the time and the context. If you go back and you look at extra biblical readings, other historians, they would talk about these love apples. They're talking about the mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter. In other words, you know, when... When Rachel had said that to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes, what she's saying is, you know, for fertility purposes, you know, can I, can I have those? Because technically Rachel is still barren at this point, right? God has not opened her womb. So she says, give me those mandrakes, man. And um, Leah's like, wow. You know, first of all, I've given you my husband. I've borne all these children. 
I've, you know, I've blessed him. And it's not enough for you. You, you. you took my husband, you married him, it's not enough. She's hurt. You could see her heart, she's hurt. And she's gonna actually get, and this happens, you know, sometimes ladies, when you get hurt, don't you sometimes get indifferent? And, and it's a defense mechanism, what I mean by that is sometimes you get hurt, you back away. And you're like, whatever. Do you know what I mean? You kind of get to the point where you get a little hurt and you're like, you know, I'm just, I'm done. Well, Leah's going to kind of have that moment here. She's going to almost get kind of business-like about it, if I can use the term, where she's going to approach the situation and rather than her emotional feelings, and remember, Leah's incredibly emotional. So for her to act upon this way, we see that she's, this is clearly hurting her. Her heart is still very sore, you know. She's still very sore. And so she, we could see this is what it does, this bitterness, this pain. It's what it can do to any one of us in our hearts. Bitterness and pain can cause indifference. It can cause anger. It can cause a whole lot of emotions. But it's going to explain her behavior here in a moment. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. They're making a deal. They're making, I mean, literally, this is like a, a cash deal. All right, he'll lie with you tonight. Give me the mandrakes. Tomorrow night he'll be with me. Jacob's in the field working, man. He's got no clue of this. He's going to come out of the field going, what? Where do you, okay, all right, if this is where I'm supposed to be. I mean, where's the spiritual leadership, huh? In the home. Talk about being a pastor of your home. Where's the spiritual leadership? This is clearly not a good moment for Jacob, right? Men, if we're watching this, we need to pay attention, men. This is, this is what it looks like to blow it. And I'm glad it's here because we can look at this and learn from it. We can learn from this. You know, we shouldn't be indifferent that way. And ladies, obviously, we should never find ourselves in this situation, right? That, that's, that's why monogamous relationships are important. When Jacob came out, oh, excuse me, I'll finish in uh, verse 15. And it says, and Rachel said, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. I can imagine how she went. I don't think, you know, we read in the scripture, we don't get the tone of it necessarily. But I'm sure it wasn't, you know, I, I traded mandrakes. Um, would you come, you know, lie with me tonight in, in your mother's tent? You know, uh, that, that, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was like, it was like, look, I bought you, come on, let's go. You know, I mean, it had to be that kind of forceful, like, you know, this is ridiculous, you know. What, what, and, and Jacob, again, he's like, all right. You know, I mean, you, you, you really got to wonder what's going on here. I mean, we can laugh about it, but... <laughs> telling you, dysfunction, like a whole new level of dysfunction here. And he laid with her that night. And God listened to Leah. He, you see, God's very concerned with our emotions. He knows our hearts. In spite of it, even if we're wrong, even if we're, we're making mistakes, God hears, he knows our hearts low. We, we can't fake it till we make it. You ever heard that saying, people, fake it till, you can't do that with the Lord. You can't lie to God. God sees everything. He sees your heart. He knew she was hurting. He knew when she went up to, to, to you know, when Rachel said that and she went up to, to uh, Jacob and said, come on now, you know. And, you know, I, I have no doubt Jesus went, Leah, or Leah, really? Really? And God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Ishkar, right? Which means for service or for hire. Interesting name. Can you imagine growing up with a name like that? How'd you get your name? Oh, that is a very, very long story. I imagine that didn't come up at the dinner table. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Six sons. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. You think so? I mean, oh my, six boys like that. Now my husband will dwell with me. She still goes back and forth, doesn't it? Don't we do that, Lo? Sometimes we, we praise the Lord, we're on the right track, things are going good, and then all of a sudden, we get off. We start listening to the flesh, we start falling into the traps, 
And she's right back at her trying to attract her husband again, trying to get his eyes focused only on her instead of just trusting the Lord, loving the Lord, and allowing God to minister to her. I mean, she didn't ask for that situation, did she? She didn't ask to be put in that situation. Her father, Laban, through the, you know, the trickster, remember that? He's the one that did that. It was supposed to be Rachel originally. Laban did that. So it says, I have borne him six sons, so she called his name Zebulun, which means dwelling. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Kind of thrown in there, isn't it? Oh, and by the way, she had a daughter. Her name was Dinah. Let's move on, right? No. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about um, Dinah here in the next few chapters. Dinah will be brought back up, be back, brought back up and... We're going to look about it because Jacob will be very concerned of what had gone on. There will be, in the land, there will be a man that will come in and he will not follow the normal protocol, which is to go to the father. And you wonder where we get these traditions. It was scriptural. You would go to the father and you would, you would ask for permission. You would, you would talk. You would have a conversation. The father and the family would watch the suitor or the man like that to say, is he worthy of my daughter? Not just the dowry, but was he, was he worthy of my daughter? You know, was he, was he going to be an honorable man? Was he a leader in his home? Was he a pastor of his home? Did he have integrity and moral character and fortitude? Or was he willing to just, you know, do what was right in his own eyes? Was he a spiritual leader? If he wasn't a spiritual leader, the, the, the father would have said, you're disqualified, get out of here. Nothing to do with you. You're not marrying my daughter. It was more important about his fortitude and spiritual leadership. That's what it looked like. And it was, you know, there was a, the, the, there was a heavy price or, or, or point put on this. And so, you know, when we read about that in the future, we'll see this woman, and, and, it, and this guy obviously goes in and, and mistreats her, has relations before where they're married, and that doesn't sit kindly. It's not part of God's plan. We'll get, we'll get into Dinah. We'll talk more about it. But if you want to read it, look ahead a few chapters, you can go through. It's, it's what it looks like when it's not done God's way. Then God remembered, verse 22, Rachel. It's not that God ever forgot Rachel. This is just a sort of a Hebrew idiom, you know, and he remembered. And now God, in other words, is putting his focus back to Rachel's what he's saying here. He's not saying like because he had forgot about her and now all of a sudden he just remembered her. It's, it's not that, it doesn't connote that. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Isn't that interesting? She knows exactly who took away the reproach. It was God. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And he will. And do you remember his name? Benjamin. Benjamin where we get the Benjaminites, which Paul came from that tribe. So we have the 11, there will be a 12th tribe, we'll get to that soon, because as a matter of fact, that's when Rachel will die, when we read about that, she'll be die giving birth to Benjamin. Verse 25, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, or Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place, to my own country. Something, we don't get the details. Some time has passed on, but, but now he's got this children, he's got this family. Something has moved upon Jacob that he knows he is supposed to go back to the land. This is important because we're going to read about it where he's going he's to be enticed to stay here. There's going to be an enticement to stay. But he really should have moved on. And because of that, again, it's going to create some, some dysfunction. Give me my wives and my children from whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes... And isn't this interesting? For I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. It's interesting. He realized that God was blessing Laban or Laban's life because he was around Jacob because Jacob had his hand of protection and blessing upon him in spite of what Jacob was doing, in spite of himself. You know, sometimes we think we lose God's favor or love because we blow it. 
We don't lose God's faith. God doesn't, he doesn't turn off his love that way. He might, there might be disappointment, of course, but, but he doesn't turn off his love that way. We're not disqualified, right? So then he said, name, your, name me your wages and I will give it to you. He tries to make a deal with, with Jacob here, a deal that's hard to pass up. See, he's going to entice him. He's, he, he saw the blessing that Jacob was giving him and he sat there and said, I don't want you to leave because if you leave, what's going to happen? So is my blessing. You see, he begins to understand that if you leave, my blessing's going to leave. I don't want that to happen. He's going to entice him. But what did God already tell him to do? God told Jacob to do what? To be faithful and go back. That's what God had commanded. This is what I want you to do. You take your family, your sons, your wives, and you're to go. And all of a sudden, this opportunity pops up. Have you ever had that in life where you know God has put you in a place and this is what you're supposed to do and all of a sudden, out of the blue comes an opportunity and this opportunity comes up and you're like, wow, this is really good and it's enticing. Tony, he may even bring you back in because remember, he's just about to get out and all of a sudden, Laban's trying to bring him back in back into his former employment, back into what he did, where he was comfortable, and he's going to entice him with money. Oh, stay, the blessing. But God had already commanded him. God had shown him something different. It happens. We, I think a lot of us can relate to this. We've seen this happen in our lives. We have to be careful. This should be one of those danger, danger warning flags going up. Are we in the will of God? Or are we being tempted by something that we see with our eyes? Or is it tickling our flesh? Very, very important because we see this happen over and over again. The evil one will use this same trick over and over again. I know at Microsoft as an example, many of you know I worked at Microsoft. I would say a year ago, I know the Lord had told me it's time to move on. And I sat there and I went, but Lord. And I was thinking about all the things, you know, you know, Lisa, my wife didn't have a job, but you know, all these things that are going on. And I, I began to think in what? my intellect. I leaned on my own understanding. Yeah, I, I say this before you because nobody's arrived. Nobody's arrived. And I say this as a testimony that, that I've learned through, the, I ex, learned by experience, as Laban said. And it's amazing because just like it's recorded here in the scripture, this happened to me. This very same thing. Because God had told me to move on and I said, but they come back and they offer you, oh, health care, or oh, this, or oh, that. I mean, whatever your thing is, whatever your fear or your anxiety of what you think you might need, oh boy, it'll pop its head right up. Oh, I better, well, what about this? You know? Let's, let's read on and, and, I, and I'll finish the story because this is exactly what happened in my life. He says, name your wages and I'll give it. So Jacob said to him, you know, I've served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it is increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since of my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? He says, I need to move on. I need to take care of my family. I've made you wealthy. I've done all things in honor and decency. But now I need to care for my own family. In verse 31, so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. He answers right at first here. He answers right. You shall not, I don't want your money. But, here it is. Here's the compromise. Circle it, underline it, underline it. If you will do one thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Okay, I'll get pulled in, but this is what I want you to do. Let me pass through all your flocks. This is a a difficult passage area we're coming up to. It can get quite confusing. I mean, I'll net it out for you. Very simply, what's going to happen is he's going to take, look, give me your purebred animals, or take your purebred animals and separate them. Laban, you can have them. Just give me the ones that are speckled and spotted that are not purebred. You with me? Give, Give me those animals. And I'll take the weaker, the, the weaker of the animals, the non-purebred ones, the non-healthy ones. That, that's how he would describe it. You take the good ones. Laban's going to say, that's fine with me. You know, that sounds great. I'm, I'm in. Let's do it. 
And then what happens is, is, is Jacob, just to make sure there's no funny business, he's going to say, let's put three days between us. So he's going to go off three days, uh, and he's going to give, and he's going to put Laban's kids over the, the purebred animals, um, you know, the, the goats, the sheep, and, and what have you. And then he's going to take all the speckled ones. He's going to go up, and he's going to take this almond kind of reed. It's almost like a bark. He's going to peel it back. He's going to take the bark off it. He's going to then take it with these speckled animals. He's going to put it into a watering trough. Now, we don't know. There's nothing in the scripture that, you know, says specifically what he's doing here. He knew or had an intention. I don't think this is Jacob being a trickster. I, I really don't think that's what he's doing here. I think in earnest, he's like, well, let's do this. And he's taking the bark <clears throat> and he's putting it in there. And now these animals are going to come up. And as they start doing it, you know, drinking from it, all of a sudden, they're more speckled. He's going to so what happens? He gets the speckled ones. So his flock starts growing. But then he starts getting smarter and says, you know what? I'll wait to see when these, you know, lambs and goats have the, the babies, the folder. I'll wait to see how, are they stronger? Because if they're the weaker ones, then I won't put that bark in the trough. And they'll go to Laban, even though they're purebred, they'll, they'll go to Laban. But if they're the stronger ones that come out and they look hardy and, 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 you know, strong, he says, then I'll put it in there. Now, he goes through and does this whole thing, and what's really interesting about it is ten times we're told, you changed my wages ten times. We'll read that. Ten times they switch it. Laban's seeing this. He can't, he's beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. He's looking at this going, are you kidding me? You're, you know, this whole thing's going down, and uh, there's uh, healthier, more speckled animals. Then you say, you know what? Fine, give me the purebred. Just give me the brown ones and give me the black ones. Give me the goats. And guess what happens? It switches. What is happening here? God is showing favor. God is showing favor. Excuse me. <clears throat> God is showing favor here. He's blessing Jacob. And Laban's beside himself because Laban had been so wealthy because Jacob had been faithful caring for his flocks. Now all of a sudden, Laban wanted him to stay. God told him to go. And so what we see begin to happen is all of a sudden Laban, their ki his kid's inheritance starts going down because they're getting the frail animals. They're getting the ones that are you know, no longer able to produce. They're not as fruitful. And so all of a sudden Jacob's flock is growing growing healthier and stronger and, you know, just that equates to wealth. His wealth is growing and Laban's watching this happen right in his own backyard and no matter what he does, if he switches them, it goes the other way and he's, he's beside himself and, and eventually he's going to come to the point where he's like, you know what, you want to go? Get out of here, right? I mean, at this point, but Jacob's going to turn around and he's going to say, well, you can switch it up, but it's going to take this whole it's going to create a, uh, basically a, a point where they're going to set up these, this heap of stones and you say, you don't come past this stone and I won't go past that stone. What is that? It's a fence. He's going to take a vow and put a fence up in essence. It's basically going to break the family apart because he wasn't faithful to, to go when God had told him to. Sure, he was materially blessed, so he thought, hey, this is great. But he... I think it shows two things. First of all, I think it shows that when God's going to show favor, God's going to show favor and he's going to bless him just as he promised to do. And I think the other thing is that no matter how much Laban tried to trick or come against Jacob, God had his hand in protection around Jacob and he would let nothing happen to his servant. So let's read through that. Everybody with me? So that's what we're going to read in this passage here as we go through it. So he says, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you, should give me, you shouldn't give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again feed uh, and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flocks today, removing them. Uh, they are all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled one among the goats. And these shall be my wages. Remember, the goats were the purebred. They were typically black. The sheep that were purebred, they were typically white. That's what he's showing here. And brown. <clears throat> and he says, so... And he says, these will be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. <coughs> Excuse me. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. So again, he doesn't understand this idea of dominant and recessive genes. 
he doesn't understand that, right? He doesn't, this is not Jacob trying to, and Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. He loves it. He's like, let's do it. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and they gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So he separates them again to verify honesty there. Now Jacob took for himself the rods of green poplar and the almond of the chestnut trees, peeled it white, and stripped it. That's the bark I was telling you about. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters. Those are the watering troughs. In the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streak and speckled and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the street, and all the brown in the flocks of Laban. But his own he put, or he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them in Laban's flocks. He's separating them. He's doing everything according to what he said he would do. He's not tricking. He's not playing games. He says, okay, I'm separating them just as we had agreed. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceded, that Jacob placed rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rocks. Now, that point you might be able to come back and go, there's my boy Jacob, right? He sees if they're the stronger one, what's he do? He puts the bark in there and he's like, you'll be mine, right? If it's the weaker one, not so much, right? So that, there's, there it is a little bit of Jacob. You can't, you can't have not a little bit of the trickster in there, you know? So, but when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the strongers were Jacob's. Jacob's. Thus, the man became exceedingly prosperous, and he had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban saying, so he's at this family gathering. There's about to be a transition here, right? Some things are going to be changing in, in the old neighborhood. Jacob has taken away all that our fathers had, and from what was our fathers, he's acquired all their wealth. What's going on? The sons are getting together going, have you looked at our flock? We got like 10% of the flock we used to have. I mean, we, we only got, you know, if we had 1,000 before, we got 100. If we had 100 before, we got 10. I mean, we got, we, got, we got hardly anything anymore. And you know what they're thinking, right? What does the eldest normally get? The spiritual blessing, but also the inheritance. Money, money, money. These guys are sitting here looking around going, what's going on here? And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was favorable toward him as before. It was not favorable, excuse me, toward him as before. You know, something's changed. Well, I was telling you, I was at Microsoft for a number of years, 13 years to be specific. And I, I tell you, no matter what I did, God gave me favor there. I could do nothing wrong. I mean it. I, I've never had employment uh, there and it, like this in my life, where the Lord just blessed everything that I had done, everything that I touched. It was just, it worked out. And I mean, products, solutions, designs, architectures, you know, it just all worked. Even things that people are like, that's not going to work. And I'm going, yeah, I don't think so. It worked. I was even shocked, you know. And um, there came a point, though, and I remember it being right around the sixth or seventh month mark. And I remember saying uh, something to, you know, some of the folks in the fellowship, they, uh, you know, you're still at Microsoft, when are you, you know, going to be here full time and what have you? And I said, well, the Lord, you know, I knew the Lord was moving my heart. I'd already talked to my bride. My bride had already, you know, said, oh yeah, as the Lord leads. And um, so I sat there and all of a sudden, it was like overnight. I, I've never seen anything like this. I could do nothing right. Something I would have wrote code on, all of a sudden I had to debug it five times. I couldn't get the line of code to work. Customer relations, people that I knew, 13 years, all of a sudden they weren't happy with the account or something changed. It was like everything I did, there was no favor anymore. It was like, I literally remember that day. I sat there and I looked at my wife and I said, no matter how I am striving, notice my word I used, I'm striving at that point, I can't make this right. And then I remember, and we were actually, we were in um, Mark, and we were in the early chapters of Mark. It's hard to, we've been in Mark almost, uh, you know, quite a bit in a while now. And I remember when Levi, remember Matthew the tax collector, 
And when he gave up being a tax collector because he was going to follow Jesus, he knew it would be a profession he could never go back to. And the Lord had, had removed him from that. He called him to this. And I stood up here before you and I said, hey, I know the Lord's telling me to, to move Microsoft. I'm going to be full-time in the ministry. And, and I shared this with the body at the time. And I knew. But I was, I was supposed to do that six months before. I was supposed to be obedient. But instead, I was lying, leaning on my own understanding and my intellect and, and all this other stuff going on. You see, <laughs> Jacob was supposed to be gone. He was supposed to be out of there. There would never have been this contention between him and his father that way. If he would have left when he was supposed to leave, he would have been in the will of God. There would have been no reason for this. But now all of a sudden, you got the younger sons, you got the whole family. Everybody at this point is going to be against Jacob. There's something to be said as a spiritual lesson for walking in the will of God and not leaning on our own understanding, but in all our ways we acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. That wasn't a suggestion. And I learned that by experience. But how much greater would it have been and simpler for me as I went through that if I would have just turned around and trusted the Lord to begin with, right? And I say this, I'm, I'm transparent before you because I know you too, all of, many of you have had similar experiences in your life where you, you've kicked against the goads, you know the term, where you know the Lord has moved you on, you're supposed to be doing something else, he's given you a spiritual calling, he's done something, and, and, and that life that you had is no longer what you're to be doing. And yet, it still pulls at you, and, and, or maybe he's moved you into a new season of a job or a career, and he's moving you on to something different. Or maybe, you know, uh, 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 maybe there's a, a group you used to socialize, but, but all of a sudden, you know, you, you're starting to realize you, you find yourself compromising with them. You know, you're out at the bars, you're, you're going to places you shouldn't be going, looking at things you shouldn't be looking and at one time, you were okay with that. But now, you get a check in your spirit because you've been walking with Jesus Christ and you know it's wrong. And you know you should have nothing to do with it. And yet, you find yourself right back there and God's going, get away from that. I got so much better for you. You don't need to go back to that. Yeah, dog runs back to his vomit. That's what the scripture says. But that's a choice. You don't need to go back there. You see, Laban was... Lovon was actually being used by the Lord like this now. He's actually going to become the sandpaper. He's going to drive Jacob out because if Jacob won't leave on his own accord, God has got that taken care of. He's got a tool for that. You ever heard that? I got a tool for that. God's got a tool for that. And we see it throughout Scripture. The Assyrians, God's got a tool for that. You want to talk about idolatry with Israel? God's got a tool for that. How about Judah, the tribe of Judah, Right? God's got a tool for that. Who was it? Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian invasion, right? God's got a tool for that. Today, God's got a tool for that. And just in case Jacob was missing it, just in case Jacob was missing it, <laughs> he hears all this. Jacob has taken away all that our fathers of our fathers, and from what is our fathers, he has acquired all the wealth. He's stolen all our stuff. Verse 2, and Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable for, to him or towards him as before. Laban is not happy like back in 25 and 26. Hey, Jacob, I really want you to stay. Whatever you touch is just being blessed. Laban is not, Laban is not happy now. And just in case he misses it, in verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to your land. This time, the Lord goes directly to Jacob and says, hey, I want to make sure you got my, I got your attention here. Look at me in the eyes, he says. He says, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Got it, Jacob? You listening now? You paying attention? You got it? That's what he's telling him. You got it? I like that. He didn't allow him to flail there and just <laughs> run amok. He, he, he course corrects him because he loves him. 
So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flocks. Notice it's just them. It's not the maidservants or anything like that. He maybe thought he couldn't trust them because they were still, you know, they were maidservants. They were hired hands from Laban at one point. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable towards me as before, but the Lord God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and changed my wages 10 times. He kept rotating it. He's, he's going to tell us here. He says, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Even Jacob through this realizes God's hand of protection is upon him. If he said thus, the speckled, right? The speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks are born speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And, he, and Jacob says that rightfully so here. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked and speckled and gray spotted. God, he, God gave him a vision that he saw that he was getting favor from the Lord. He, he, he knew it. He confirmed it. Then the angel of God, that's Jesus, spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked and speckled and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Even when people try to come against you and I. As sons and daughters of the God Most High, we are protected. God allows these things. Otherwise, they could not happen. God allows these, and many times for our stretching, for our growth, for our refinement, kind of a salt fire, you know, when the Bible says how he salts the fire. And what's that do? It's a refinement. It's a purifying. God allows that. He allows that. But he realizes that God has his back, just like he has our back. I am the God of Bethel. I think that's awesome. What does he do? He reminds him of 20, you know, at this point, it's been 20-something years. He reminds him where he started out. Remember at Bethel, Jacob's Ladder, as we call it, where he turned around, he put the stone there, and he thought there was, he thought, he says, this is the house of God. You know, it was the stone. This is where you're going to dwell, Lord, in the stone. You know, and we kind of laughed at that. God goes back and says, you remember 20 years ago what I promised to you? He says, I'm going I'm to explain this to you. He says, when you anointed that pillar and where you made a vow to me, do you remember the vow, Jacob? Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land your family. Jacob, you made a vow. If I would protect you, if I would feed you, if I would give you favor that way, that what? I could be your God. Do you remember that? He says, I could be your God. He says, well, Jacob, in spite of you, I've blessed you. Now you keep your end of the vow. Get back to your home country where I've taken you from, where I told you and allowed your family to go out to marry. Now go back because that's your promised land that I have for you. That will be the land of milk and honey. Israel, because the Canaanites will be delivered and all of that land is given. He says, you made a vow. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? There's no money. There's no, he's taken it. Are we not considered strangers by him? For he sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. How important is this in Scripture? You know, often men, we, we hear from the Lord, and God directs our paths, right? Men, he tells us, he shows us these things. You know, we kind of go to our helpmates and say, so what do you think? This is what the Lord showed me. And our helpmates will sometimes say, did you pray about it, right? They, that's a fair question. Did you pray about it? You know, I remember this one pastor, I, um, he turned around and he, uh, he wanted to buy an RV, and he went to the, his wife and said, honey, I really think we, there's nothing wrong with buying an RV, but it was the point of it. I really think we should be, you know, buy an RV. He looks at her and he says, or she looks at him and says, did you, did you pray about it? He says, I don't need to pray about an RV. It's just an RV. She says, you really ought to pray about it. Oh, he walks away. He starts thinking about it. 
He's like, yeah, I better pray about it. Well, then he goes, she goes, you know what? If you think the Lord's telling you to do it, go ahead and buy the RV. And he looked at her and his eyes got real big. And he went, I better go pray about it. Because all of a sudden he knew what she was doing. She was like, absolutely, she's ducking, right? She's being obedient wife, she's ducking. But hey, man, it's all coming back on you now. Needless to say, he did not buy the RV. But there is nothing like when you receive a calling from the Lord or a specific thing from the Lord and he is showing you something and you go to your helpmate and you turn to her and you say, you know what? The Lord is showing me this. And she said, you know, I have peace with it. It's peaceable with me. Go, do it. Man, guys, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, ah, oh, it's beautiful. You know your helpmate has prayed about it. She's received a word from the Lord. You've got a word from the Lord. You guys step hand in hand. There's comfort. There's, I mean, guys, there is nothing like it. At this point, Jacob was uncertain. What he, he hears his wife say, no, I'm in it. It's blessed. Go ahead and do it. There's wisdom to this, guys. Go to our helpmates. If the Lord gives you something, talk to your helpmate. What do you think? Will you pray? Will you pray with me about this? All this responsibility of spiritual eating, I don't want to mess up, man. I don't want to mess up. Will you pray with me about this? And when they turn around and go, yeah, I prayed. And you know what? The Lord gave me a pass. Before I came down here, the Lord had already given me Ezekiel chapter 2. I knew I was to come down here. But I went to my family. I went to my helpmate. I said, will you pray about this? And she's like, I feel pretty good about it. No. You know, it was like, no. This is where we're supposed to be. This is our home. You know? And I'm not saying that just to, rightfully so, right, ladies? I mean, that's your home. That, you, your kids are, everything was, the, rightfully so, ladies. And about a week or two goes by. And I just started praying, God, if this is your will, Lord, will you give her a verse? Will you use your word just through her natural devotion? I didn't even say a word to her about it. At least I don't remember saying a word to her about it. I said, go read. I said, give her a verse, Lord. A week or two comes by. She comes in. She goes, we got to go. I got to tell you, men and women, I just, my heart just was like, thank you, Jesus. Because I knew that I knew that I knew what we were supposed to do and where we were supposed to be. And the Lord confirmed it. And then on top of that, we turned around because we had a son at that time. Like I told you, had some medical concerns. I said, Lord, will you, you know, he's just getting out of the, the hospital and everything. I said, will you pray and give him, you know, comfort him, give him a word? He was 10 years old at the time. We didn't say anything to him. We just prayed together. Will you give him a word? Because he didn't want to move. He doesn't like change. And he, man, I, th- I don't know, maybe it was three weeks later, he comes in the room at night. We got to go. Lord gave me a word in the Bible. Here it is. I circled it. I dated it. We got to go. I just started praising God. You see, that's what God wants to give you and I. He's not giving us a blind faith. Faith is only as good as what you place your faith in. He didn't give us a blind faith. He gave us the living word of God that is God-breathed and infallible. But it's for us to take of it, to receive of it, and to wait on the Lord. It's for us to walk in the wisdom of God, which is the beginning of fear, right? What's what's God say? The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Why does he say that? Because it's a reverential fear. It's going to God first and going, Lord, before I do anything stupid, because I know me, right? Maybe that's not you. It's just me. I know me. Before I do anything stupid, Lord, you confirm it. And I don't want, and I'm not talking about just throwing a fleece out. That wasn't fleece shopping. That was God, I want to know in your word. Because when the going gets tough, because when I feel like quitting, because when things are too hard, I go back to that passage and I open it up. And it's dated 2000, and I think it was 13 when I got that original passage. 2013. And I sat there and I was like, wow. No matter how difficult, I go back to that passage, I read it, and I receive the comfort of it. It's like I'm there again. Just like that vow that Jacob took, and he went back to it, and God reminded him 20 years before, and Jacob found comfort, didn't he? And then he went and called his wives. They found comfort, didn't they? 
I hope you receive that, just that promise and that comfort that God gives you to know that whatever's going on, he knows exactly where you are. Whatever trials you've had, you're not alone. And whatever timing of events that you've been praying about and waiting on, God is with you and he's got you. If you feel like you're in a holding pattern, God's got you in that holding pattern. Wait on him. There's nothing else like it. And during the time, you might be like, oh, man. I mean, 20 years later, go back and study Moses 40 years later. Daniel, how many years, right? Look at um, Nehemiah. How many years before he got to come back as a wine? Here, taste the poison. No poison? Okay, good. You know, how, you, you start going back. How many years? How about Paul? 13 years. 13 years before when he leaves Jerusalem to when he's called back and, and uh, Barnabas goes and gets him. And yet, if we don't get an answer in a month or a year, God, you forgot me. What happened, Lord? Are you still there? And we think we did something wrong. And then we start, and the devil loves that because we start heaping up problems on ourselves. And then we're all convicted and condemned. Walk in church, Lord, don't love me. I'm good for nothing. I can't do it. Man. 